Chapter Seventeen of Son of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Son of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Seventeen. Miriam returned slowly toward the tree in which she had left her skirt, her shoes, and her stockings. She was singing blithely, but her song came to a sudden stop when she came within sight of the tree, for there, disporting themselves with glee, and pulling and hauling upon her belongings, were a number of baboons. When they saw her they showed no signs of terror. Instead they bared their fangs and growled at her. What was there to fear in a single she Tarmangani? Nothing, absolutely nothing. In the open plain beyond the forest the hunters were returning from the day's sport. They were widely separated, hoping to raise a wandering lion on the homeward journey across the plain. The Honorable Morrison Baines rode closest to the forest. As his eyes wandered back and forth across the undulating, shrub-sprinkled ground, they fell upon the form of a creature close beside the thick jungle, where it terminated abruptly at the plain's edge. He reined his mount in the direction of his discovery. It was yet too far away for his untrained eyes to recognize it. But as he came closer he saw that it was a horse, and was about to resume the original direction of his way when he thought that he discerned a saddle upon the beast's back. He rode a little closer. Yes, the animal was saddled. The Honorable Morrison approached yet nearer, and as he did so his eyes expressed a pleasurable emotion of anticipation, for they had now recognized the pony as the special favorite of Miriam. He galloped to the animal's side. Miriam must be within the wood. The man shuddered a little at the thought of an unprotected girl alone in the jungle that was still to him a fearful place of terrors and stealthily stalking death. He dismounted and left his horse beside Miriam's. On foot he entered the jungle. He knew that she was probably safe enough, and he wished to surprise her by coming suddenly upon her. He had gone but a short distance into the wood when he heard a great jabbering in a nearby tree. Coming closer he saw a band of baboons snarling over something. Looking intently he saw that one of them held a woman's riding skirt and that others had boots and stockings. His heart almost ceased to beat as he quite naturally placed the most direful explanation upon the scene. The baboons had killed Miriam and stripped this clothing from her body. Morrison shuddered. He was about to call aloud in the hope that after all the girl still lived, when he saw her in a tree close beside that was occupied by the baboons, and now he saw that they were snarling and jabbering at her. To his amazement he saw the girl swing, ape-like, into the tree below the huge beasts. He saw her pause upon a branch a few feet from the nearest baboon. He was about to raise his rifle and put a bullet through the hideous creature that seemed about to leap upon her when he heard the girl speak. He almost dropped his rifle from surprise as a strange jabbering identical with that of the apes broke from Miriam's lips. The baboons stopped their snarling and listened. It was quite evident that they were as much surprised as the Honorable Morrison Baines. Slowly and one by one they approached the girl. She gave not the slightest evidence of fear of them. They quite surrounded her now so that Baines could not have fired without endangering the girl's life. But he no longer desired to fire. He was consumed with curiosity. 
For several minutes the girl carried on what could be nothing less than a conversation with the baboons, and then with seeming alacrity every article of her apparel in their position was handed over to her. The baboons still crowded eagerly about her as she donned them. They chattered to her, and she chattered back. The Honorable Morrison Bain sat down at the foot of a tree and mopped his perspiring brow. Then he rose and made his way back to his mount. When Miriam emerged from the forest a few minutes later, she found him there, and he eyed her with wide eyes in which were both wonder and a sort of terror. "'I saw your horse here,' he explained, "'and thought that I would await and ride home with you. "'You do not mind?' "'Of course not,' she replied. "'It will be lovely.' As they made their way stirrup to stirrup across the plain, the Honorable Morrison caught himself many times watching the girl's regular profile and wondering if his eyes had deceived him or if in truth he really had seen this lovely creature consorting with grotesque baboons and conversing with them as fluently as she conversed with him. The thing was uncanny, impossible. Yet he had seen it with his own eyes. And as he watched her another thought persisted in obtruding itself into his mind— she was most beautiful and very desirable. But what did he know of her? Was she not altogether impossible? Was the scene that he had but just witnessed not sufficient proof of her impossibility? A woman who climbed trees and conversed with the baboons of the jungle. It was quite horrible. Again the Honorable Morrison mopped his brow. Miriam glanced toward him. "'You are warm,' she said. "'Now that the sun is setting, I find it quite cool. "'Why do you perspire now?' He had not intended to let her know that he had seen her with the baboons, but quite suddenly, before he realized what he was saying, he had blurted it out. "'I perspire from emotion,' he said. "'I went into the jungle when I discovered your pony. "'I wanted to surprise you, but it was I who was surprised.' I saw you in the trees with the baboons. Yes, she said quite unemotionally, as though it was a matter of little moment that a young girl should be upon intimate terms with savage jungle beasts. It was horrible, ejaculated the Honorable Morrison. Horrible, repeated Miriam, puckering her brows in bewilderment. What was horrible about it? They are my friends. Is it horrible to talk with one's friends? "'You were really talking with them, then?' cried the Honorable Morrison. "'You understood them, and they understood you?' "'Certainly. But they are hideous creatures, degraded beasts of a lower order. How could you speak the language of beasts?' "'They are not hideous, and they are not degraded,' replied Miriam. "'Friends are never like that. I lived among them for years before Buana found me and brought me here.' I scarce knew any other tongue than that of the Mangani. Should I refuse to know them now simply because I happen for the present to live among humans? For the present? ejaculated the Honorable Morrison. You cannot mean that you expect to return to live among them. Come, come, what foolishness are we talking? The very idea! You are spoofing me, Miss Merriam. You have been kind to these baboons here, and they know you, and do not molest you, but that you once lived among them? No, that is preposterous. 
"'But I did, though,' insisted the girl, seeing the real horror that the man felt in the presence of such an idea reflected in his tone and manner, and rather enjoying baiting him still further. "'Yes, I lived almost naked among the great apes and the lesser apes. I dwelt among the branches of the trees. I pounced upon the smaller prey and devoured it. Raw!' With Korak and Ahit I hunted the antelope and the boar, and I sat upon a tree limb and made faces at Numa, the lion, and threw sticks at him, and annoyed him until he roared so terribly in his rage that the earth shook, and Korak built me a lair high among the branches of a mighty tree. He brought me fruits and flesh. He fought for me and was kind to me, until I came to Buona and my dear. I do not recall that any other than Korak was ever kind to me. There was a wistful note in the girl's voice now, and she had forgotten that she was bantering the Honorable Morrison. She was thinking of Korak. She had not thought of him a great deal of late. For a time both were silently absorbed in their own reflections as they rode on toward the bungalow of their host. The girl was thinking of a godlike figure, a leopard-skin half-concealing his smooth brown hide, as he leaped nimbly through the trees to lay an offering of food before her on his return from a successful hunt. Behind him, shaggy and powerful, swung a huge anthropoid ape, while she, Miriam, laughing and shouting her welcome, swung upon a swaying limb before the entrance to her sylvan bower. It was a pretty picture as she recalled it. The other side seldom obtruded itself upon her memory. The long black nights, the chill, terrible jungle nights, the cold and damp and discomfort of the rainy season, the hideous mouthings of the savage carnivora as they prowled through the Stygian darkness beneath, the constant menace of Sheeta the panther and Hista the snake, the stinging insects, the loathsome vermin, for in truth all these had been outweighed by the happiness of the sunny days, the freedom of it all, and most the companionship of Korak. The man's thoughts were rather jumbled. He had suddenly realized that he had come mighty near falling in love with this girl, of whom he had known nothing up to the previous moment when she had voluntarily revealed a portion of her past to him. The more he thought upon the matter, the more evident it became to him that he had given her his love, that he had been upon the verge of offering her his honorable name. He trembled a little at the narrowness of his escape. Yet he still loved her. There was no objection to that according to the ethics of the Honorable Morrison Baines and his kind. She was a meaner clay than he. He could no more have taken her in marriage than he could have taken one of her baboon friends, nor would she, of course, expect such an offer from him. To have his love would be sufficient honor for her. His name he would, naturally, bestow upon one in his own elevated social sphere. A girl who had consorted with apes, who, according to her own admission, had lived almost naked among them, could have no considerable sense of the finer qualities of virtue. The love that he would offer her, then, would, far from offending her, probably cover all that she might desire or expect. The more the Honorable Morrison Baines thought upon the subject, the more fully convinced he became that he was contemplating a most chivalrous and unselfish act. Europeans will better understand his point of view than Americans, poor benighted provincials, who are denied a true appreciation of caste and of the fact that the king can do no wrong. 
He did not even have to argue the point that she would be much happier amidst the luxuries of a London apartment, fortified as she would be by both his love and his bank account, than lawfully wed to such a one as her social position warranted. There was one question, however, which he wished to have definitely answered before he committed himself even to the program he was considering. Who were Korak and Ehut? he asked. Ehut was a Mangani, replied Miriam, and Korak a Tarmangani. And what, pray, might a Mangani be, and a Tarmangani? The girl laughed. You are a Tarmangani, she replied. The Mangani are covered with hair. You would call them apes. Then Korak was a white man, he asked. Yes, and he was, uh, your, uh, your... He paused, for he found it rather difficult to go on with that line of questioning, while the girl's clear, beautiful eyes were looking straight into his. "'My what?' insisted Miriam, far too unsophisticated in her unspoiled innocence to guess what the Honorable Morrison was driving at. "'Why, uh, your brother,' he stumbled. "'No, Korak was not my brother,' she replied. "'Was he uh, your husband, then?' he finally blurted out. Far from taking offense, Miriam broke into a merry laugh. "'My husband?' she cried. "'Why, how old do you think I am? I am too young to have a husband. I had never thought of such a thing. Korak was—why—' And now she hesitated, too, for she never before had attempted to analyze the relationship that existed between herself and Korak. "'Why, Korak was just Korak!' and again she broke into a gay laugh as she realized the illuminating quality of her description. Looking at her and listening to her, the man beside her could not believe that depravity of any sort or degree entered into the girl's nature, yet he wanted to believe that she had not been virtuous, for otherwise his task was less a sinecure. The Honorable Morrison was not entirely without conscience. For several days the Honorable Morrison made no appreciable progress toward the consummation of his scheme. Sometimes he almost abandoned it, for he found himself time and again wondering how slight might be the provocation necessary to trick him into making a bona fide offer of marriage to Miriam if he permitted himself to fall more deeply in love with her, and it was difficult to see her daily and not love her. There was a quality about her which, all unknown to the Honorable Morrison, was making his task an extremely difficult one. It was that quality of innate goodness and cleanness which is a good girl's stoutest bulwark and protection, an impregnable barrier that only degeneracy has the effrontery to assail. The Honorable Morrison Baines would never be considered a degenerate. He was sitting with Miriam upon the veranda one evening after the others had retired. Earlier they had been playing tennis, a game in which the Honorable Morrison shone to advantage, as in truth he did in most all manly sports. He was telling Miriam stories of London and Paris, of balls and banquets, of wonderful women and their wonderful gowns, of the pleasures and pastimes of the rich and powerful. The Honorable Morrison was a past master in the art of insidious boasting. His egotism was never flagrant or tiresome. He was never crude in it, for crudeness was a plebeianism that the Honorable Morrison studiously avoided. 
yet the impression derived by a listener to the Honorable Morrison was one that was not at all calculated to detract from the glory of the House of Baines, or from that of its representative. Miriam was entranced. His tales were like fairy stories to this little jungle maid. The Honorable Morrison loomed large and wonderful and magnificent in her mind's eye. He fascinated her, and when he drew closer to her after a short silence and took her hand, she thrilled as one might thrill beneath the touch of a deity, a thrill of exaltation not unmixed with fear. He bent his lips close to her ear. Miriam, he whispered, my little Miriam, may I hope to have the right to call you my little Miriam? The girl turned wide eyes upward to his face, but it was in shadow. She trembled, but she did not draw away. The man put an arm about her and drew her closer. "'I love you,' he whispered. She did not reply. She did not know what to say. She knew nothing of love. She had never given it a thought, but she did know that it was very nice to be loved, whatever it meant. It was nice to have people kind to one. She had known so little of kindness or affection. "'Tell me,' he said, "'that you return my love.' His lips came steadily closer to hers. They had almost touched, when a vision of Korak sprang like a miracle before her eyes. She saw Korak's face close to hers. She felt his lips hot against hers, and then for the first time in her life she guessed what love meant. She drew away gently. "'I am not sure,' she said, "'that I love you. Let us wait. There is plenty of time. I am too young to marry yet.' and I am not sure that I should be happy in London or Paris. They rather frighten me. How easily and naturally she had connected his avowal of love with the idea of marriage. The Honorable Morrison was perfectly sure that he had not mentioned marriage. He had been particularly careful not to do so. And then she was not sure that she loved him. That, too, came rather in the nature of a shock to his vanity. It seemed incredible that this little barbarian should have any doubts whatsoever as to the desirability of the Honorable Morrison Baines. The first flush of passion cooled. The Honorable Morrison was enabled to reason more logically. The start had been all wrong. It would be better now to wait and prepare her mind gradually for the only proposition which his exalted estate would permit him to offer her. He would go slow. He glanced down at the girl's profile. It was bathed in the silvery light of the great tropic moon. The Honorable Morrison Baines wondered if it were to be so easy a matter to go slow. She was most alluring. Miriam rose. The vision of Korak was still before her. "'Good night,' she said. "'It is almost too beautiful to leave.' She waved her hand in a comprehensive gesture which took in the starry heavens, the great moon, the broad silvered plain, and the dense shadows in the distance that marked the jungle. Oh, how I love it! You would love London more, he said earnestly, and London would love you. You would be a famous beauty in any capital of Europe. You would have the world at your feet, Miriam. Good night, she repeated, and left him. The Honorable Morrison selected a cigarette from his crested case, lighted it, blew a thin line of blue smoke toward the moon, and smiled. End of chapter 17